have one lap of racing to decide the championship and we have got 3.2 miles of racing action all the way to the chequered flag as the crowd roar the drivers on to the final lap of this race and Verstappen sets after Hamilton. Is it going to be a first world championship for Verstappen? Is it going to be an eighth world championship for Lewis Hamilton? He's going to make the lunge down the inside. Hamilton sees him coming. It's a late lunge by Verstappen who takes the lead of the race. Verstappen now snatches the championship trophy from Lewis Hamilton who's trying to fight back. Here comes Lewis Hamilton though, down the back straight. He's got a slipstream. He almost touches Verstappen. They almost make contact. Into turn nine, Verstappen stays ahead. Of all the drama, of all the controversy in Formula One in 2021, it comes down to this. And at this moment, it looks like it's going to go the way of Max Verstappen. Mercedes not happy. Red Bull will be delighted. They have shared a brilliant championship battle, but the championship can only be won by one, and it's going Dutch in 2021. Max Verstappen, for the first time ever, is champion of the world. Hello and welcome to the QPD Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Stamper, Director of Institutional Sales here at Cambiar Investors. On today's show, we're discussing Formula One racing, one of the most talked about sports in the world these days, and how the stock looks undervalued. Formula One's docuseries, Drive to Survive, now entering season four, has been credited with attracting new audiences around the world and providing never-before-seen insights into the once-fledgling sport. The open-wheel races, which are located in exotic locations around the world and features 20 world-class drivers, saw a 40% increase in TV viewership for the 2021 season, making it the most-watched Formula One season in the U.S. Is this a flash-in-the-pan moment, or is this the beginning of a longer-term trajectory for the sport? In the driver's seat today to discuss this is Minish Mahatra, Portfolio Manager for the Cambiar International Portfolios. Minish has over 22 years of industry experience, spending the last five at Cambiar Investors. Minish, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jim. To get us started, tell us what got you interested in the stock originally. Yeah, I think it was early on during the pandemic. And like everybody, I was looking for content and came across the Drive to Survive series on Netflix. I heard about Formula One, listened to a couple of different interesting podcasts. And I remember somebody talking about Formula One and how interesting of a company or a sport it was. And started watching it and I was immediately hooked. I think I binge watched it. I started on like a Friday night after my wife went to bed and the kids were down and I I think I binge watched it, finished the entire series by Saturday night the next day, went on to the next season and the season after that. And um, I just completely hooked it. The backstory on the drivers is super impressive and the teams, you know, Lewis Hamilton's story and Max Verstappen's story. And, and then, you know, the backstory about how Red Bull got into the sport and obviously now they're dominating but, you know, they were kind of a, a sort of a newcomer and Ferrari and the history, their history with the sport. So the backstory behind the teams and the, the backstory behind uh, how the sport got started, the history of the sport itself. You know, the sport was started in like the 1930s, really by Maserati, Alfa Romeo and Ferrari. They were just trying to test the engines on their new cars and they didn't have test tracks back then. So they just tested them on the roads of Italy. And patrons and citizens would come out of their homes in Italy and just watch these cars go flying by. Remember back then, I mean seeing a race car flying down the front of your house was probably pretty cool. And so um, Ferrari, Alfa Romeo, Maserati, they were testing their cars. And then over time, just more and more spectators kept watching the sport and watching these races. And then they formalized the sport in 1970 um, and turned it into what we now see as Formula One. 
Great. Yeah, I'm not as familiar with the sport, but I saw an interesting stat that 108 million viewers turned into the last Abu Dhabi Grand Prix. To put that in perspective, there are 101 million viewers of this year's Super Bowl. So I know that 108 million is a global figure, but can you put those numbers into perspective? Yeah, the viewership numbers are astounding. So cumulatively through every year during the course of one season, about a billion and a half people watch the sport. Now that's not unique viewers, that's just in total. Um, So I think unique viewers, they have about four to 500 million worldwide viewers of the sport. Those are people who attend the races or watch the races on TV. That compares to the NFL, which is the highest grossing league in the world. I could have these numbers wrong, but I believe they do right around uh, $12 billion in revenues as a league. And you know, they have a little over 100 million followers. So you know, you're talking about a sport that has four times the following of the NFL. Every season, there are 22 races. Each race gets 70 million viewers. And just yeah, to your point, that compares to the Super Bowl at 100 million viewers, which is the most watched event in America. So you know, this is like the equivalent of the Super Bowl 22 times over the course of a season. It's, it's really incredible. And then uh, in-person attendance is also amazing. I mean, these are huge events for any big city. An average race will attract 200,000 people over the course of three days, which is huge. I mean, it brings in tourism dollars. You know, these are not cheap races. An average ticket costs $200. I was just looking at the ticket prices for Miami, which is the first year they're going to host a race in Miami. And uh, they sold out within a few hours. I think tickets in the secondary market right now on like StubHub are going for $2,000 a piece. So it just the viewership numbers are pretty amazing. Interesting. Maybe pivot a little bit and talk about the stock. I think you'll be the first to agree with me that not every business makes for a great stock. Mm-hmm. So when you think about Formula One from an investment perspective, you know, what makes it compelling? Yeah. So the background of the sport is really important. So the sport was created in the 1970s by a guy named Bernie Ecclestone. Um, and Bernie's he's hardly a visionary. He's a British tycoon, entrepreneur, He's involved in multiple different businesses. And, you know, he really just ran Formula One kind of as his own little piggy bank, just ran it as a cash cow business, never really ran it to optimize revenues, never ran it to optimize profits, was never really aligned with the interests of the team and the interests of the sport. The league sort of traded hands in the early 2000s. It was bought by private equity. And then finally, in, in 2017, Liberty Media bought the company out from private equity and as a result kicked out Bernie and introduced kind of their own management team and John Malone who's also on the board also a significant shareholder in addition to Greg Maffei who's chairman of the board and also a significant shareholder they're just visionaries they know media they understand media they own the Atlanta Braves they own Sirius XM they own Live Nation they've just brought a bigger energy to the sport so Since they took the league over in 2017, they have added more sponsorships. They've brought the race to the United States so that, you know, obviously they signed Miami any day now. I think they're going to sign Las Vegas. They signed the deal with Netflix, which was huge. The Drive to Survive docuseries, which was huge. We think they're probably going to add another team here pretty soon. So there's so much low-hanging fruit with Formula One that just has yet to be extracted. And I think over the next three to five years, especially now that we're coming out of the pandemic, you know, I think that's an important point to make. They took over the sport in 2017. They're doing all these things to kind of reinvigorate the brand. And then the pandemic hits, you know, they have to cancel three or four races. So I think now going forward, you're really going to finally start to see what the league can do underneath visionary management team. And so I think that's the underappreciated part of the story is just there's a lot of low hanging fruit. 
both in terms of sponsorship but also new broadcasting deals. Manish, getting a little bit more specific into CanBR's quality price discipline process, you know, when you think of the company from a characteristic standpoint and the qualities we seek in a business, how does Formula One fit within QPD? I think this is quintessential QPD. You know, just as a reminder, QPD, quality, price, discipline. So quality of the company is outstanding. This is a, a very scarce asset. It's a monopoly, effectively. There's only one Formula One. There's also NASCAR, but you know NASCAR is really largely in the U.S. Formula One is a global sport. We're not betting on any individual team. You know, we're really just betting on the sport by owning the league. It's a lot like if you own the NFL or the MLB rather than owning the individual teams. This is where we own the league itself. So incredibly scarce asset. It's a very free cash flow generative business. The company makes 25% operating margins. And because of various accounting rules, they pay very little in taxes. So 25% operating margins basically trickle down into 25% free cash flow margins. So of every dollar they generate in revenues, 25 cents goes to free cash flow, which is really astounding. That's as high as a lot of software companies. High variable cost structure. So in the pandemic, even though revenues declined by about a little over 30%, that was because they obviously had fewer races, but also broadcasting revenues were down and ticket revenues were down, race promotion fees were down. The company was still free cash flow break even. So we like that about the business. Leverage, they've also delevered the balance sheet. They bought the company in 2017, as I mentioned earlier, and they've since delevered the balance sheet quite a bit, both because free cash flow has grown, but also because they've reduced debt. They've also cleaned up the corporate structure quite a bit. And as of the summer of last year, Formula One also held stakes in the Atlanta Braves and Sirius and Liberty uh, spun them out as separate companies. So now what you own or what we own is purely Formula One, which means they can engage in buybacks, which is something that Liberty is known for. And then on price, we were buying it on depressed earnings. So, you know, coming out of the pandemic, we were buying it at what looked like about 20 times free cash flow. We think on normalized free cash flow, this is more like 12 to 15 times free cash flow, which if you consider commensurate assets, and there really are no peer groups here, but if you just look at like where the Atlanta Braves trade or Man United trades or where Juventus trades or private multiples for different sports teams, this is in compelling valuation. And in terms of discipline, again, we had been looking at it for some time and definitely piqued my interest. But it wasn't until the summer when they spun out Sirius and they spun out the Braves and we had that clean corporate structure where we employed that sort of disciplined approach and took a stake. So I think this is quintessential QPD for us. Sounds good. So thinking about, you know, risk management's a big part of CanBR's process. So when you think about the potential concerns and maybe in racing terms, some yellow flags that exist with this business, what, what concerns you the most with respect to potential downside? Yeah. So, you know, obviously another pandemic would be bad. Race promotion fees are a big part of the revenue stream as our broadcasting rights. So if we get another wave, something out of left field, that would hurt. They did have a race in St. Petersburg that they now are suspending as a result of the issues going on in in the Ukraine. So that's one race, but they'll probably replace that race they'll announce something here pretty soon so that you know that's another thing that's worth flagging i think also it is sort of still a show me story this is a company that's only really been in the hands of liberty global for about a little under five years now and then two of those years was during a pandemic so we're really going to see liberty can do with this company so there's some execution risks 
if viewership numbers start to decline, if the interest in the sport starts to wane, you know, all those things are potential risks. But everything we've seen so far, the surveys suggest that social media engagement, especially by the kind of 16 to 35-year-old, 40-year-old cohort is off the charts. As you know, the championship race between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton late last year was watched by over 100 million people in real time. Amazing awareness and engagement on social media. So everything we could see is that the interest in the sport is only continuing to grow. The drive to survive season four comes out today. The new season starts next Friday and, um, you know, we'll get better reads on how engagement looks, but everything suggests so far that things look really solid. Great. You mentioned Ukraine and obviously maybe a bigger picture question to, to wrap up our discussion today, but the recent pullback due to the volatility there, just the conflict across Europe, you know, any comments with respect to just the broader portfolio and the international strategy is with respect to what's gone on? in Europe and the Ukraine conflict. Yeah, I know. I, th- I think what all this volatility, what it forces us to focus on is really investing in what we call scarce assets. These are businesses that have significant pricing power. These are businesses that sit in kind of these oligopolistic, duopolistic competitive positions. Definitely businesses that generate a lot of free cash. You definitely want businesses that don't have a lot of leverage in this kind of market environment. And, you know, whether it's a company like Formula One, which, as we know, there's only one of, and they have tremendous pricing power, or TSMC, which is the largest dominant global foundry on the planet, and they're raising wafer prices as we speak, or whether it's Canadian National Rail, which is a duopolistic railroad provider that uh, moves, you know, everything from grain to fertilizer, to potash, to alumina, to aluminum, all things that the world is going to need more of because of trying to cut off Russia. I think that's really our North Star right now is just focusing on companies that are truly scarce assets. Great. That makes sense. Uh, Thanks for your time today, Manish. I, I, like many, are excited for the upcoming season of Formula One, and I'm looking forward to see how the story plays out for the stock as well. To all of our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you're looking for more information about the international portfolio mentioned today, please visit cambr.com. I'm your host, Jim Stamper. Until next time, take care.